this week's message. Uh, we're into the second week of Advent and uh, we've been in a series entitled Christmas Promises Through the Eyes of Isaiah. It's uh, built around the promise from Isaiah 52 verse 10 and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Let's pray for the word this morning. Lord, we thank you again for this Christmas season. We thank you, Lord God, for your ancient words. We thank you the words through the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for the fulfillment that they have in the New Testament. We thank you, Jesus, that you have come to save us. We thank you for all that the baby in the manger means, that it draws us to the truth of the cross. And we thank you, Lord God, as we dwell again in this Christmas series, that you have something fresh and new to communicate to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says? Amen. Amen. Well, today we are on about Christmas joy, and we're looking very much at the songs that we sing in this Christmas season. I wanted to begin by telling you about a uh, woman whose uh, parents had just retired. And in retirement, her mother had always wanted to learn to play the piano. So as a retirement gift, she went out and brought her mother a piano. She was having lessons, and uh, about a month or so later, she saw her dad in the supermarket, and she said, how is retirement going? How is mum going learning the piano? Dad rather sheepishly said, "Uh, well, look, Unfortunately, we've had to return the piano. But I have uh, talked her into uh, 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 doing the flute instead. She said, well, well, why why the flute, not the piano? He said, well, she can't play and sing at the same time. (laughs) We're not all musical, Simon, like you. We're not all great singers like other people, but that's all right. You know, the Bible says you can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I think as long as we sing the hymn from our heart, it sounds sensational to our Saviour. Amen? Christmas. It's all about the songs we sing. I'm sure many of you love the Christmas carols. Some of you have probably already been down to White Hills last week for the Christmas carol event there. Next week we've got one in Roslyn Park. Some of you will go all the way down to Melbourne for carols by candlelight. And others of you are just really happy coming to church each Sunday and singing some of those well-known carols. But can you imagine Christmas without carols? Let me ask you this, how would you feel if we took out all the carols at Christmas? I mean, all of them. Anybody with the name Carol, we just take them out. (laughs) Carol, if you're listening to this, I love you. (laughs) You got any carols in the house? See, when they're not here, I can get away with this sort of stuff. Imagine how quiet it would be without Christmas carols. What a tragedy it would be if there were no songs to announce our Saviour's coming. You see, all of the central characters at Christmas in the story, they all respond to God's plan of salvation through a Christmas carol. 
We find most of them recorded in Luke's gospel, but they find their roots in Isaiah. You see, through the eyes of Isaiah, we see how these prophetic promises find fulfillment. And amazingly, with precision pinpoint accuracy by the characters at Christmas in the narrative. And so if you want to have joy in the Christmas season, you need to have Jesus. And so today's promise is God promised singing. We're going to look today at Isaiah 35 and Luke 1. Of course, we've been talking in this series about how when the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament promise collide. By way of background, though, one chapter back, Isaiah 34, verse 2, we read these words. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction and given them over for slaughter. That's not very Christmassy, is it? But of course, God judges sin. According to verse 8, as we read on, judgment day is coming. For the Lord has a day of vengeance. And then in verse 10, it adds, for those who don't believe, judgment will be everlasting. When we read, night and day, it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. Some of you are thinking, Andrew, what happened to the Christmas? Bring back the Christmas carols. But while uh, Isaiah 34 actually is a picture of everlasting judgment, when you turn over the page to Isaiah 35, it goes from everlasting judgment to the promise of everlasting joy for the redeemed of the Lord. So this is a prophecy that has a, a front sort of end of fulfilment and a far future fulfilment. The prophecy of Isaiah actually covers uh, Israel going off into captivity and coming back. But then it also covers uh, the first coming of Jesus Christ, what we know as Christmas, and also advents to the second coming as well. So in contrast to judgment, listen to the good news Filled with great joy from Isaiah 35. I won't read all of the verses, but let me just choose some. Verses 1 and 2. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. For them who are returning uh, to Israel and for us today. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and Singing. Verse 3. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. See, Isaiah, his name actually means uh, Jehovah will save. And so every single time when the name of Isaiah was mentioned, they would remember God's promise to them to come and save. And so when we read the scriptures today, we remember that God is still a God who promises to save you from your situations today and is coming again to save us once and for all. Verses 5 and 6. Then... Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue sings for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So he's saying there when the Messiah comes, 
We'll all be healed. We'll all be free from sin. There's going to be this rejoicing at the glory of God. And living water will flow from within us. Singing. Singing does something for your spirit, doesn't it? There's something that just lifts you up out of any sort of darkness that you might be experiencing. Some of you this morning probably walked in here feeling a little downcast because of the week that you've had. But how could you feel downcast after that great worship? It lifts you up, doesn't it? Fanny Crosby, she was only six weeks old when she went blind. And yet her condition didn't prevent her from actually having this song in her spirit to her saviour, Jesus Christ. She went on to write some of the greatest hymns. 8,500 hymns and poems she wrote. To God be the glory, blessed assurance. And this is the powerful words that she wrote. When my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side. And his smile, imagine never seeing a smile. His smile will be the first to welcome me. That's the darkness that Jesus came to lift us out of. Verses 8 and 9. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way, the unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor the ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. And then finally, verse 10. Behold, your God will come, and the redeemed of the Lord will return. And come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You remember that uh, scripture and song? I've been singing it all week. Because the redeemed of the Lord shall rejoice. We're singing in Zion and everlasting joy will be upon our heads. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, Claire. Am I the only one that knows that song? You you just know it to a better tune, is that right? (laughs) Sighing is going to be replaced with singing. Uh, Okay? Gladness is going to replace their sadness. It's a wonderful uh, song that we sing this time of year. Joy to the world, isn't there? You know, uh, Isaac Watts, 17, 19. As a young teenager, he came home from church one day and he complained to his dad that uh, the hymns that we sang at church were, were, were meaningless, boring tunes. And his dad said, well, son, if you think you can do better, he came up with joy to the world. But you know, Christmas. Christmas brings joy, but for everlasting joy, you need Jesus. You will not find everlasting joy in the traditions of Christmas. We know that uh, Christmas is in full swing here in our community, don't we? We know we see the big Christmas tree down there in the park. We see the lights up. We see the decorations. But where were they before December 1st? They were back in the box, weren't they? Yeah? Christmas is... We get everything out of a box at Christmas. And then at the end of Christmas, where does it all go? 
Well, not the food. We know where the food goes. <laughs> but everything goes back in the box. How many of you have a nativity that you just got out of the box? How many of you think the nativity is uh, Mary and Joseph and the wise men and uh, uh, the shepherds and the, uh, the sheep and the goats and all that sort of in the, in the stable? Actually, the word nativity means the time and place of birth. So every single one of you has had a physical nativity, yeah? The time that you were born into the world. But Christmas is all about not receiving just the baby in the manger, but actually receiving God in your heart. That's the spiritual nativity that God wants each and every one of us to receive at Christmas. And then we have that everlasting joy because you are now on a highway home to heaven. So Isaiah illustrates the joy of the Lord which comes with the birth of our Saviour. He says in Zion there is going to be singing. Zion, of course, is symbolic of Jerusalem. It's symbolic of the, uh, the Holy Land. Yeah? And that time when, when Israel would return. But for you and I, Zion is symbolic of the city of God in that place we know as heaven. And again, we're going to enter into these eternal promises with great joy and singing. You know, uh, dare I sing again? Some of you are thinking, don't encourage him, he's a god. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number. Hallelujah. And we are going to march in on that highway paved with gold. Amen. So, it's interesting how Isaiah we start with this whole idea of sorrow and judgment. But then we come out with the joy of singing. And yet for 400 years in the Old Testament, God hit the mute on the music. The only sound we had was the sound of silence. Can you imagine today if there was no message from God, if there was no Bible, no preaching? And yet that's the reality of how many people live their lives today, isn't it? During those silent years, immorality was rampant, sin was celebrated, the spiritual life of the people of God had no vitality. Is anything different today? So Isaiah's prophecy promises that there will be singing when the Messiah comes. And so let me tie together now the scripture and the song. The Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah with the promise in the New Testament from Luke chapter 1. You know, Christmas is filled with songs. I'm not really a, a musical guy, but really uh, the Messiah is set to music. We've got Mary's Magnificent, the Angel's Alleluia. We've got Simeon's Song. All of those transition the Old Testament Hebrew songs from the Psalms into the first Christmas hymns. So it's a musical filled with the words of Isaiah. But the one we want to talk about today is Zechariah. Zechariah. 
the song of Zechariah. Zechariah, if you don't know, he was a priest. His wife, Elizabeth, uh, she was a PK. She was a, a, a priest kid. Yeah, she was from the line of Aaron. And these guys were parents-to-be of John the Baptist. They lived during this time that Isaiah talked about of, of sighing and sorrow. If you were to cover their lives, it would be grey and gloomy. But uh, Zechariah means God's promises and Elizabeth means God remembers. So God remembers his promises. Jewish brides are always taught to have as many children as they could because you never knew how when you would give birth to the Messiah coming into the world. But a, a cloud, if you know the story, hung over this couple because they weren't able to have any kids. In biblical times, it was a real social stigma not to be able to have children. It was actually considered to be a curse from God. They called women... Barren. The whole idea in the Hebrew is to imagine this dry, dusty land. The wind sort of blowing up the dust. Maybe the tumbleweed rolls by. And it's this idea where no life is possible. But it's in Isaiah 35. Suddenly there's this speaking into this. There's going to be this promise of new life in this barren wasteland. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had prayed for a child for many, 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 many years. And now they were well past it. It was now impossible. And so they had somehow stopped praying for this promise. They had somehow forgotten that God is a God of the impossible. And you know, that's the importance for us at Christmas. For us to bring Christ into people's lives. For us to demonstrate this God who was birthed into the world by the Virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. It was impossible. And yet, he came and he lived and he died in order to pay the price for our sins. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they'd been waiting for something to happen in their lives. Heaven was silent. You know, maybe you're in that barren, dry wasteland today. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long, long time. Heaven seems silent. Do you still believe that God is a God of the impossible? That he can reach down into your life today, into the lives of your family, and that he can resurrect their lives so that they can be on that highway towards heaven? Is that still the God that you worship? Does God want to birth something new in your life today? Zechariah, he could hardly believe the news he was about to receive. You know, whenever uh, people write songs, uh, sometimes we'll say to them, what was your inspiration for writing that song? So let's have a look at the inspiration of Zechariah, the man behind the music. I could have gone straight to his song, but I, I want to fill it all out. Because who knows? This might be the last opportunity we have to hear Zechariah uh, come to us in music this morning. 
So firstly, with the man behind the music, let's have a look at his worship. He was inspired by his worship. Verses 8 to 12, we're told this. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So understand, there's like 20,000 priests. Two weeks of the year, they have to go down into Jerusalem. Yeah, They have a, a lot. And if your name is pulled out, you get to go into the Holy of Holies. His job was to burn the incense at that time. You could only, such a privileged position, you could only do it once in your lifetime. That was it. And they considered the person who was chosen to be blessed. They would be rich and holy for the rest of their lives. And it says, when the time for burning incense had come, all of the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So the other 19,999 are outside praying. When the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The right side is always the side of favour. We know uh, that it was the angel Gabriel who appeared to Zechariah. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Not a little angel like this. Big angel. Huge. Would have scared him to death. The initial uh, response, do not be afraid, Zechariah. The second part of his prayer is that your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a son. Incense, if you've ever been in the presence of incense, it's pretty overpowering, isn't it? We know that it's all of these different spices that are burnt. It has this sweet sort of smelling aroma. Uh, once it starts to uh, get uh, uh, pushed around, it actually starts to fill the room. Yeah, And uh, the whole idea is to be the presence of God and those prayers rising into his throne room. It actually affects all of your senses in sense. You know, it uh, gets in your eyes. It gets down in your throats. Yeah? Uh, it affects everything. But worship, worship is to be in the presence of God. It's to be experiencing God with all of our senses. It's to be a tangible experience. So we should be in the presence of God. And you know, when you're worshipping... When we just finished singing some songs and being in the presence of God together, can you actually say to yourself, I was aware of God's presence with me? Do you experience all of your senses when you're in the presence of God? That was his worship. The second inspiration uh, for the man behind the music was his wonder. Verses uh, 13 through to 20, we're told. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. So the lesson we learn is don't give up praying no matter how long it takes. God is a promise-keeping God. Verse 14 links us back to the joy, the promise of joy in Isaiah 35. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be, a, will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the priest had been praying for the Messiah to come. And you know, that's our role at Christmas. 
You know, so often we think about Christmas being about us, but it's actually about us being out and actually witnessing for the Lord. It's actually about us preparing people to get on that highway home to heaven, calling people out of the wilderness of their barren lives without the Lord to make way for Jesus. But Zechariah, like many people, he didn't believe the good news. How often today when we talk to people about Jesus and the real meaning of Christmas and give you a little smile, don't they? They don't believe what's going on. He asked the angel for a sign. And he was like, mate, I'm it. I'm the sign. What more do you want? And yet so often people do want more. They miss the signs pointing to the saviour at Christmas. So here's a warning. Unbelief can damage your health. Reading on. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So Zechariah asked for a sign. And for six mu- uh, sorry, nine months, he had to use sign language to communicate. Oh, the irony. You know, uh, some people say, what was the greatest miracle? Uh, Was it the fact that uh, Elizabeth was able to have a child in her old age? Or was it the fact that a preacher was silent for nine months? (laughs) Well, I know which one it was. I heard the other day about a woman who uh, gave birth to Pete. She was 70. 70! I thought to myself, nothing's impossible with God. And then I thought, but but God, me and the wife, were okay. (laughs) 70, we don't want that to be happening. In the din of Christmas madness, can you hear the voice of Christ above all of those other voices that are vying for your attention? The third inspiration for the man behind the music is his willingness. His willingness. This is so important. Verse 22 to 24. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. So obviously now he's putting his faith into practice, Phil, if you know what I mean. But here's the point, it's very important. Zechariah demonstrates this willingness to play his part in God's plan. Yeah? He didn't just hear from God and said, okay, it's all up to you. No, he had a part to play. And I think that's a challenge for us, isn't it? You know, do we obey God even though there's something within us that goes, this is impossible? You know, one of the things I've learned over my journey is that if it is possible, you don't need God. There ain't no miracle coming your way. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth, their names mean God remembers his promises. So are you willing? Are you willing in this Christmas season to obey God, even though there's something in you that says this is impossible? And that leads us to the final inspiration from the man in the music, his witness. Verse 57 through to 66. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, 
they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he will be called John. Now, of course, uh, very important for the only son for the name to continue on. So everybody thought he would just be Zech Jr. Verse 61. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Kids, early form of the iPad. <laughs> All right. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. I bet that he and Elizabeth had been calling this kid in the womb, John, ever since the angel showed up. And then it goes on and it says, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. And so we see here, don't we, that when we act in faith, God moves. And suddenly there was this huge witness, a testimony to all those people who were around. Zechariah is going to sing a song. It's called the uh, Benedictus from the Latin word blessed. From verse 67, we find this Christmas song. It's a song we can sing all year round. Do you ever think to yourself sometimes, sometimes with the Christmas songs, it's like, I, I don't want to be singing that again. But there's so many other songs, isn't there? We think to ourselves, why don't we sing this more? This song is a song of redemption, a song of promise, a song of hope, a song of peace, a song of, a song of joy, as we remember that Jesus came to save us from our sins. It goes on, it says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And I love what happens next. He just explodes with this pent up praise. Listen to these lyrics in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord. Imagine that spoke for nine months. Boom. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. So his first words, not directed to his wife or even uh, the family or what's happening in the temple. His very first words are this excited eruption of adoration. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah 35 verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So suddenly the man who was mute is now making music. He'd been able to, unable to speak, but now he can't stop singing. That's one of the things you learn about uh, Luke's gospel. There is more singing and praising in Luke's gospel than the rest of the whole New Testament combined. So we've got to sing, don't we? Yeah? Because Isaiah 35 says, you know, when Christ comes and comes again, the redeemed of the Lord shall rejoice. He just bursts forth with the whole idea of redemption. He's so confident in the prophetic words that Zechariah is now speaking that he speaks like Christ has already come, like he's already redeemed them. I like uh, the hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. It was written by Charles Wesley in 1739. And it comes to mind when I, when I think about the, the main theme of this Christmas carol. The last verse, hear him ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ, ye blind behold your saviour come, and leap ye lame for joy. Folks, Isaiah couldn't help but, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Zechariah couldn't help but sing as he realised this miraculous birth was preparing people for the coming of the Messiah. 
And so we read of the promises God made uh, in the fulfilment of the Old Testament, verses 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Do I, do I, do I, I'll just keep going. To show mercy to our fathers and to redeem his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us and to rescue us, I say, church, from the hand of our enemies. We've got a spiritual enemy. And to enable us to serve him. We are saved to serve. Without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Jesus came to rescue us. The horn of salvation. It's not a musical instrument like a horn that you blow. It's actually talking here about an animal. Yeah, Animals defend themselves from their enemies with their horns. You might think of a bull. You might think of a deer. I like to think of the rhino. He only needed one horn. But what it's saying here is that God the Father has invested all power and strength in Christ in the crib so that he will come and he will gore Satan and he will pierce death and he will gut sin for each and every one of us. That's what Christmas is all about. And now Zechariah looks down at his son and he declares the purpose for his being. Every single one of you has a purpose under God. A promise to be fulfilled. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And of course, you know as well as I do, that's a direct quote from Isaiah 9, verse 2. So Christmas is all about the dawn of this new day, this fresh start, this new opportunity. Yeah, that, that light can shine into the darkness. The sudden appearance of light, you know, it's dark, isn't it? They say it's always darkest before the dawn. And suddenly Jesus dawns, the sun rises and falls on each one of us. It falls on the shadow of death. You see, death disappears before Christ. There is one thing that everybody fears, and that is death. So Christmas comes to provide this light, to shine the way on the path of holiness, so that people can find their way home to heaven with the Lord. So in this inspired prophecy, Zechariah speaks more about Jesus than he does his own son. I mean, let's be honest. Joel, you've just had a baby. Now, do you spend more time speaking about your baby than the other kids? Don't answer that. <laughs> I never had a son. I had three beautiful daughters. Can you imagine looking down into the face of that son that you have wanted all your life? You're now an old, old man with an old, old wife. <laughs> that's what he says of her, isn't it? If you've read the passage, that's the way he speaks about his wife. And there's the promise. 
But suddenly the son deflects away to the saviour. You know, come in. He only speaks of his own son in two verses. And all other 13 speak of the son of God, Jesus Christ. Because like any good dad and any godly parent, he recognises that every child has come secondary to Christ. Especially at Christmas time, isn't it? When it's all about the kids and it's all about what the kids want, a parent's job is to actually help them focus in the importance that the greatest gift they can receive is Jesus Christ. So Zechariah looks down at that baby boy and he knows that help is on the way. The long wait is over. The Benedictus is all about Christ coming to earth. It's the greatest Christmas carol we could ever possibly sing. And that song, that scripture in song, is filled with prophetic promises from the prophets. So I hope today you're inspired to sing these Christmas songs, uh, these Christmas choruses with a, a really energetic and enthusiastic way because of the music of the Messiah. I think they were singing all year round because the joy of Jesus is everlasting joy. Isaiah writes about the coming messianic age, finishing again with verse 10. The redeemed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. An everlasting joy will crown their heads. Can you say amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning?